Welcome to the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast. This is Stan Drive here with my co-host, Nick Braccia. We're going to talk about UFC and ESPN Plus 21, Magomed Sharipov versus Calvin Qatar coming up this weekend. And more importantly, we're going to discuss UFC 244, which was about as great an event as you could ask for, Nick. Maybe a little bit anticlimactic ending, but no complaints on this end. What are your thoughts, dude? Yeah, same. I thought, it, I thought that, you know, we knew that from the... Uh, early prelims through to the main event that there were no stinkers on this card and that pretty much proved to that proved to be true uh, everything was exciting um i was on fire with my picks through the uh the entire undercard and then we got to the main card and i whiffed i think i completely uh i think i completely whiffed um so you know sometimes that happens i thought you were like a shorty there a victory or a draw toward the latter part of the overall card. But yeah, it turned out to be a win for me by a single point. It's funny how it always comes down to a single point between us on these. Oh, yeah, it's re- very funny. It's very funny indeed, Stan. Fucking hilarious. <laughs> you are not taking this well, Nikolai. <laughs> so you picked uh, Rosenstrike over Arlovsky. You picked Johnny Walker, which was a mistake. Uh, I, Shabazian I picked Shabazian, yeah. That's right. Those came through for you big time along with Rosenstruck. And then uh, Ivanov and Luke did not come through for you. I'm not I can't, I'm not even mad at Blago Ivanov. I thought he fought a I thought he fought a really good fight. Like um you know, I think I got the sense Derek Lewis's head was really slippery. Yeah, from you know, I felt like uh he was able to get out of some stuff, but He's a big dude. I didn't anticipate. I didn't anticipate Lewis being so much bigger than him. And Ivanov, I feel like looked a little chubbier than he has previously. But you know, tough dude. Tough dude fought a competitive fight against a monstrous guy. Yeah, the thing about it is, Derek Lewis maybe for the first time in his career came in conditioned like a high level MMA fighter should. Yep. And for that reason, he was able to explode with six punch combos. Probably four, five, six times throughout the bout. And yeah, throughout that the bout, in, in every round. Exactly. He kind of saved his explosions, a very Vitor Belfort style of fighting by Derek Lewis. It was actually not a fun fight to watch overall, and I kind of figured it might not be, although it was more busy than I expected. I thought it was fun. Uh, and for that reason, I think it was, yeah, it was all right. When Derek Lewis was swinging, it seemed fun. Blagoy did such a great job of avoiding most of the big power shots, and his chin, as always, held up to the bombs that Derek Lewis was able to land. But at the end of the day, Derek Lewis's explosions gave him that win. The fact that he was able to explode throughout the fight instead of getting beat up and tiring you out by getting beat up, only to then land a bomb in the third round and finish the fight there. It's interesting for you, um, three of your first four picks actually won. Johnny Walker was your second pick, and that did not come through for you, of course. And then Ivanov and Luke, who were your two last picks, lost, which really makes a lot of sense, right? The last picks are usually the more difficult ones to choose, and that's why we saved them. Yeah, and every, I mean, everybody picked Johnny Walker. Like, no, very, very few people picked Corey Anderson. I don't think anybody, even those that picked Corey at all, expected him to get a knockout here. I mean, Walker has been tagged before. I think that's how he has, he picked up two of his losses. But I don't know if anyone expected Corey to suddenly finish Walker after not being able to finish a fight for probably two or so years and he did man walker's chin is not that great and for 205 that'll be an issue if he's not able to get to your chin first thus far we've only seen like two and a half minutes of him up until this bout and this bout lasted maybe two or three minutes and that's all 
that was needed to put Walker away here. It's interesting for me, Nick, my first two picks were Gastelum and Gillespie, and both of those guys failed me. And that was obviously, you know, pretty late in the card. But my third, fourth, fifth, and sixth picks came through. Masvidal, Shukagin, Burgos, all three of those I believe we disagreed on. Uh, no, I I pick I was with uh, I was with Burgos. I picked Shabazian. I had Shabazian as my pick. Yeah. Oh, you definitely had. Sh- I said Shukagin. You said. And I wait. Who? Caitlin Shukagin. Oh, Shukagin. Yeah, I picked my, but that was a real. But I that was a. Uh, I mean, I was going back and forth. I was going back and forth. Like that was a real pick'em for me. Like I didn't. Yeah, and I think you felt the same way about the Burgos fight, and and then you ended up, I think, only choosing or mainly choosing his opponent because I picked Burgos. Yeah, I did. I thought that right. I and and it was it went exactly the way I you know that we thought it was going to go. Amir Khani came to fight. He looked like a million bucks early, but he was smaller, and Burgos is just a killer. You know, it was it wasn't dissimilar yeah. from the uh, the Luke Thompson fight. Like Luke brought it, and he had a path to victory. He just didn't do it enough and took too much damage trying to do it. It was the fight that didn't go the way at all. I thought I, it was till Gastelum. Gastelum. I don't think Gastelum landed a single punch. Like. I, well, l- l- let's let's rewind yeah. quickly where we literally didn't even mention George Masvidal and Nate Diaz. Let's talk about that and get that out of the way. It was yeah. a pretty dominant performance by Masvidal. Very much who so. made Nate Diaz look very human and kind of like a mid-level fighter, which let's face it, up until he started fighting Conor McGregor, Nate Diaz was kind of a mid-level fighter. Um, I don't Clearly I don't fully Masvidal, agree with that. I think he was always on the cusp of the of top 5. He made a great striker, Donald Cerrone, look silly. Nate Diaz's kryptonite was always wrestle boxers because his take he has these long skinny legs and his takedown defense sucks. But there were not a lot of fights where Nate Diaz got pieced up. And Masvid- Masvidal pieced him up. Yep. The Donald Cerrone win was probably his best win against the guy who was almost at his peak. Outside of that, his big wins, Gray Maynard, was way past his prime by the time he fought Nate Diaz, his chin was not there anymore. Michael Johnson is in the middle of a huge losing streak, and Nate Diaz was a part of that. Um, Conor McGregor, who's you know looked fairly human, although he's a pretty good overall fighter, looked fairly human against Nate Diaz. Like, I mean, Anthony Pettis, Conor McGregor, Michael Johnson, uh, two of those guys are way past their primes. Gray Maynard, another guy past his prime. Jim Miller, Donald Cerrone, Takanori Gomi. There were names back when he beat them, to be fair. But he's got so many losses in between these. Dos Anjos, Thompson, Henderson. McGregor, Masvidal now, Roy McDonald, Dong Young Kim, Gray Maynard back in the Mo- day. Almost back all Maynard those guys are wrestlers. Best. Yeah, it's true. Uh, in this case, Masvidal, I thought, was better than Nate absolutely ever. I, absolutely, I know no that, doubt. Bigger, stronger, uh, yeah. faster, more precise, and with so much behind each shot. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You and I disagreed on this pick. And I think a lot of a lot of experts also picked Nate Diaz in this one as well because of his pressure, because of how much wear he can put on an opponent. And George Masvidal years ago used to have a problem putting his foot on the pedal. He had no problem doing this here. He put his foot on the pedal like he has, by the way, in those last few bouts. He's clearly changed everything ever since that reality TV show that I think aired before his Darren Till fight. He literally took a year and a half off between 2017 and 2019, came back, knocked out Darren Till, knocked out Ben Askren, and now TKO'd Nate Diaz. 
Um, he's a real problem, George Masvidal. And I, I know that it's Nate Diaz that he just beat, but I have little trouble for seeing him do really well against the top two in the division in Kobe Covington and Kumaru Usman. I think if he wants to take that fight, the, the winner of that fight, I think he could very well do quite well. In a five-rounder, if his cardio holds up as well as it did here, he's going to be taking offense. He's going to be out, uh, up against the fence a lot, and he's going to experience a lot of pressure from his old friend, Colby Covington, who, by the way, probably cannot wrestle him um, given this YouTube clip that's available, available of those two guys wrestling back in the day. But Masvidal has a solid chance of knocking either of those guys out. He has a solid chance of being the best welterweight in the world, and he happens to be extremely exciting at the same time. Yeah, my thoughts on it are that I wasn't – one of the reasons why I picked Diaz was as much fun and as charismatic as Masvidal is and as big a fan I am, it was It's very it was very hard, even after the Askren-Maya fight, to know how impressive knocking out Ben Askren was and also to know how impressive knocking out Darren Till was. So I – I was hedging a little bit on how good he was based on the way I was feeling about his opposition um, versus versus Diaz McGregor and Diaz Pettis, which I would rate a little higher. I do not have any questions now, and I think I would pick him against um, pretty much any any welterweight. I mean, I think he and Maya is always going to be the same kind of very difficult um very difficult fight, but I think I would pick him against everyone except Usman. Um, Usman's so big. Covington's not that big, and he gets and he got a little tired wrestling Rafael Dos Anjos. And Masvidal, I think, is a bigger guy um, than Dos Anjos. I think I think taller, and and I think at this point probably stronger. He just looks very strong now. Um, so I think I would pick him against Covington, but. I mean, it's risky. It's not, that's, I don't think that's the money fight. I think what's going to happen is McGregor fights and probably beats Cerrone in January. And then they do Masvidal McGregor um, for enormous money in Vegas um, sometime probably next spring or next summer. I think I mean that's that's got to be on that's got to be on the whiteboard there at Zufa. I wonder, do you think they'll do Cerrone McGregor in the meantime? I think that um, they'll believe that having more re- a more recent highlight reel for McGregor is worth the risk. Otherwise, what's you know, what's he got? Like, yeah, I mean <laughs> McGregor Cowboy, they're two big names, so it would be a big fight. It would generate. It's a, a lot big of fight, but whoever but wins Mag- that fight, yeah, but McGregor would be heavily favored at this point. I'm sure he would be. I'm not sure that that's warranted. At 170 pounds, we've got guys like Usman and Woodley. At the, I'm sorry, Usman Woodley. I, I have no problem. I see no problem with Masvidal taking care of business with Woodley. I think I think he'd piece him up. I've never been a huge believer in Woodley, despite his title reign. And then we've got Colby Covington, with whom you know I, I think that's also a tough matchup. Um, Leon Edwards, I now believe that Masvidal should have the edge because he's going to be busier. He's going to be accurate enough. I don't think Edwards is going to make him miss all that much. And I don't know that Edwards will be able to get takedowns against him. Dos Anjos is a tough matchup. Maya already beat him. Uh, Steven Thompson already beat him, and decisively, by the way. So yeah, it, it kind of leaves him nobody to fight. Maybe a Robbie Lawler. 
there's really nobody to fight for him outside of McGregor, Covington, and Moss, and uh, excuse me, uh, the champion Kamaru Usman. I think maybe Tyron Woodley would be my call out if I was him. I don't know if Woodley's booked against someone. I think he may be at this point, but I would probably call out Woodley because he's a former champion. It's a winnable fight. Woodley's not busy enough. It should be a five rounder. It must be a five rounder. Otherwise, Woodley can you know maybe win a three round decision. But I wouldn't be surprised if Masvidal finishes Woodley. I think I think he needs to be picky about his style matchups here because some of them look worse than others, and some of them have little to offer in return for the risk. He's got to fight the big names, the champions, a McGregor, somebody. Uh, I don't know who he can fight above or below that division. That would make a lot of sense. I just feel like. I just feel like the people that he should be fighting, people that he'd be willing to fight, very few and far in between. Yeah. I mean, it'll also be what, what weight class McGregor was going to come back to. You know, is he a money weight now? Is he want, is he a lightweight? Like, as long as Khabib's champion, I don't think McGregor is going to factor into a main event. Like, he's the only person that wants that rematch. I don't think anyone is really excited to see that. I, I think the idea of these, um, you know strike uh, like getting kind of uh the creation of this fake belt and the step away from having to face grappling heavy opponents um almost creating a this subdivision is uh it's not a bad it's not a bad business idea and i think that and i think they look at i think they look at you know, there's a lot more money in McGregor fighting the Diaz's and the Masvidal's than there is in trying, and then again running him into a world class wrestler. I agree, and also, I can McGregor really be stupid enough? Does he really want to fight Khabib again? You think? Yeah, I think abs- absolutely, ab- absolutely, I absolutely think wow. he wants to. Yeah, I mean, it just seems so foolish given given the fact that he's clearly being choosy about his return opponent opponent. And he's picking a guy like Cerrone, who on paper should be beatable by him, right? Yeah, I mean, he wants Edgar. He, he wants a want he wants a guy that's moving down to one thirty five. Right, Edgar and Cerrone are his two top picks, and you're telling me he actually wants yeah. to fight Norma Gomedov? There's no more excuses after he gets finished by Normie a second time. It just seems so odd to me that he'd want that matchup. But in any case, Masvidal looks spectacular, man. His star continues to rise. Who has a thirty five and thirteen record and turns his whole career around? takes advantage of a couple of few opportunities, and becomes a major star. I'll tell you who. Nate Diaz, George Masvidal, and Rocky Balboa. That's about it. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, good for them. It's, uh, it, it was, listen, I was bummed about the cut, and I was interested to see if Nate was going to turn it around. I don't, as much as I love Nate Diaz, and as much as I thought that his volume and pressure was going to be part of the story of this fight, I don't think Masvidal was slowing down. No, I don't. I don't know that we had any reason to think so. And Nate Diaz came out, and you know, at this point, he's a good promoter. He knows how to handle handle himself with the media, and he basically talked about how he was just going to turn it on in the fourth round. It was all part of his plan. Obviously, that's bullshit. The guy wanted to dominate from minute one. He usually doesn't start till minute four or five, but man, he just couldn't get anything going against the harder hitter, the more athletic, the faster, the better wrestler. The better boxer, George Masvidal. Masvidal's shots hurt him considerably more than McGregor's left hand. Even the the shots from from McGregor that that put down Nate a little bit, like, you didn't, Nate was, you could see Nate, you don't, the Diaz brothers have the best poker faces in the world. 
you saw you saw him shocked at how hard Masvidal was hitting him. Yeah, I think he was taken aback by it. I mean, McGregor, I think, knocked him down two or three times in the first couple of rounds of their second, second fight. fight. Yeah, and right, and, and you're right; they didn't seem like they were as thudding a shots. I don't know if he fully went down from a punch from Masvidal. I know he got rocked and dazed a couple of times. I don't know that he fully went down from it. I mean, look, their power is comparable. Masvidal is going to have the better cardio over McGregor. He's going to have the size. He's going to have the ground game advantage, probably the wrestling advantage. Really, for McGregor, it's mainly the left hand. And for that reason, I don't know that McGregor is going to be very quick to want to fight him. For Masvidal, now that I'm thinking about it, now that I'm seeing as to how few choices he really has, as to fights that he's likely to win, that'll be entertaining, that'll make money, because that's what he's looking for at this point, right? I wouldn't be surprised if they'd run that Nate Diaz fight back. I know that promotionally, if there are other options, it makes sense for George and for Dana White and everyone to say, you know what, it was a bad cut. He did the damage. He beat him up the whole fight. There's not much reason for a rematch. But I do think a rematch would do good numbers depending on how it's promoted. I wouldn't be surprised if they go with that, man. I know they, they don't, they're not eager to pay Nate Diaz serious money, but I think if this pay-per-view did well, and I honestly i am not sure how well it did. This is the first time that one of these guys are going up and really testing their mettle against somebody not named Conor McGregor. I'm not sure how well this pay-per-view will have done. I didn't have any of my casual friends asking me about it, whereas every McGregor fight, I hear something. Even Norma Gometo fighting at this point, I hear something. Um, Cyborg fighting, I hear something. I, I don't know, man. Gometa. Like Trump Trump getting booed was there. The Rock Rock was there. I feel like this I feel like this was this is I feel like it's in Madison Square Garden. I feel like it was it had a big fight feel. Um I think what we're going to get yeah, is we're going to get Masvidal Edwards and we're going to get Connor Cerrone and if Masvidal and McGregor win, they'll fight. I would give you I, I'm willing to make a $100 bet that Masvidal does not I mean maybe he does fight Leon Edwards. I don't know. It just seems like so little to gain from Masvidal. The fact that that's a money fight. They got the clip. Cash. They got a clip. They can show backstage of him, la- you know, landing a three piece in a soda. It's true, but everybody with, loves with that. Leon Edwards, with Leon Edwards speaking the way that he fight, that he speaks very respectfully with a lisp, uh, with him fighting the way that he fights, not very exciting at all, and with him being a really good fighter at seventeen and three, man. I don't know. Would Masvidal really take that fight, man? He did take yep. the he'll absolutely difficult style matchup. There's mo- Masvidal smart. Yeah, there's right. money in that fight. It makes Edward. It elevates Edwards, and they can sell it on that clip. It's basic promotion. Right, promotion one hundred and one, man. Me. I, uh, I I hear you. I just feel like from Masvidal's perspective, he's certainly not a bad motherfucker when it comes to Nate Diaz and Masvidal's is kind of litmus on that right they, they don't consider that guy to be one of these bad motherfuckers i don't think masvidal is going to want to take that risk but may, may, you have the clip maybe not i it just might be a promotable fight it's i mean maybe not i feel like it's a more winnable fight than covington is um yeah but with covington you have so much more to gain if covington can beat usman yeah i don't think coming so i don't i don't think covington's from... gonna beat usman though do you I think that I certainly think there's a chance. I absolutely think you don't think it was how busy Covington is. You don't think and how little Usman throws per round. And the fact that Covington on paper should have the wrestling to avoid takedowns standing up. Usman has more power, but Covington's going to throw 20 shots to Usman's two. You know, you don't think think Usman's going to be able to take him down. 
I don't think it's going to be that simple. I think there's a big difference between taking down a past his prime, Tyron Woodley, who was never truly elite, in my opinion, not never truly like top two or three, uh, top one or two in the division, if you ask me. Um, I think there's a difference between fighting him and fighting Kobe Covington. I think Kobe's in the prime of his career. I think he's an excellent wrestler, whether he's on the bigger side or on the smaller side. He has the conditioning to throw hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of strikes. And that's huge, man. That's a big factor. I used to think it was pretty one-sided. But after seeing uh, Colby Covington's last fight, I, I'm no longer that sure. Yeah. Uh, just against his Rafael Do- against Rafael Dos Anjos, I wouldn't have been confident. He did look much better against Lawler. But again, it's like, which Lawler is that? Is that Lawler on vitamins? Is it Lawler washed up? Like, I don't I don't know. True. And, and Dos Anjos is coming uh, off of a win over Kevin Lee, who had a pretty spectacular knockout of his own. Let's quickly talk about Darren Till and Kelvin Gastelum. Oof. It wasn't a very exciting fight to oh, watch, God. unfortunately. Blue and balls. Kelvin Gastelum. It was a blue balls fight. Yeah, man. He. It seems like Kelvin was focused on asking for the title fight after this fight, after getting this win. He didn't even make weight. How much did he train? How much did he believe that Darren Till was going to be a challenge? Coming down for 170, having uh, just taken two pretty big losses to George Masvidal and Tyron Woodley, both were finishes and he talked about Darren Till did about how he lost a lot of his confidence from that fight walking into the ring Darren Till looked nervous as hell and here's the thing Darren Till can win a high level fight as long as you don't have either the power advantage or the output advantage right Stephen Thompson he was able to beat him in a decision granted a close decision but the fact that he was even competitive with the Stephen Thompson that we saw compete this past weekend is just seems insane to me right the reason is because he does well against lower output fighters, and Stephen Thompson's only high output when you're really attacking him. Darren Till likes to fight really slow paced. Here it's her only early, and then his wins before that weren't really all that, you know, weren't over high level competition. He was undefeated up until that Woodley fight. But look, I think Calvin Gastelum, if you push the pace, if he had the cardio to push the pace and the wherewithal, he would have won this fight. It's really that simple. He barely tried, is what it looked like. One thing that Darren Till did really well is he knew that Calvin Gastelum was going to have to cover the distance and explode to come in like he did against Israel Adesanya. And what Darren did to negate that is he would clinch him the moment that Calvin Gastelum got at all within arm's length. He would clinch him. And you wouldn't think that Darren Till would want to clinch the wrestler in Gastelum, but it worked. And then they had to work their way out of the clinch and go back to a distance where Darren Till was just ever so slightly more effective. And that was enough, man. Really interesting how he approached it. Um... It just seems like Kelvin Gastelum's, both of these guys actually are known for basically only throwing a one, a one-two, and maybe a rear body or head kick. And in this case, with the bigger man taking a very slow pace and having the right recipe to negate Gastelum's offense, it was enough. Look, it was a good win by Till. I wonder where he really is skill and confidence-wise. He admitted to the fact that he was thinking about feigning an injury to get out from fighting him literally last minute. Yeah. I mean... If he ever pulls out within a day of a fight, he's always going to be like assumed to have chickened out. Yeah, I don't. That. I don't mind the honesty, so, but you know what? So, oh, I don't mind the honesty. I'm just saying that I know if I'm about to fight Darren Till and Darren Till pulls out last second, I'm 100% going to play back this clip on my Instagram and let everybody know what I think the reason for Darren Till pulling out is. It just seems like a weird admission to make. It really is another sign of his mental weakness, which kind of keeps me from getting particularly excited about him. I'm not I'm not excited but, about him at all, but he he didn't he did come off a little more likable, but I I was so I was just bored stiff by this fight and and upset cuz I I was just waiting for Gaston to land and he landed nothing over 3 rounds. 
Yeah, I agree. He he landed nothing. Uh, Darren Till just made a slight tactical adjustment, and Kelvin had absolutely nothing to answer for it. By the way, Kelvin Gastelum absolutely cheated to make weight. He kind of had his I saw arms, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, his hands by his head and his elbows out very wide, and his coach was right behind him to his right, literally carrying Gastelum's elbow on his shoulder as Gastelum was weighing in. So he was able to relieve some of that weight and even went made uh, made one eighty four. He, he Needed to only make the 186-pound limit. Weird situation. It's the second time it happens. I think the first time was also with the New York State Athletic Commission. That time it was Daniel Cormier who kind of leaned on a towel that his two corner men were holding. It just seems like a lot of funny business can happen here. By the way, quickly, do you agree with the cut stoppage of the Nate Diaz Masvidal fight? I I mean I I I was I was not I wasn't thrilled that it ended that way. But I think it was a. I think it was a fair. I think it was fair. And honestly, most doctors and referees who have communicated since then have been like, "Yeah, it sucks, but it was a fine. It was a fine call. Like those were like uh, that was yeah. a nasty ass cut in a bad place. And the doctor, like, you know, they know they know what's up. And it didn't. It didn't look like it was going to get better for Nate. So, and they weren't. No, these they were, were not. These were, were not. These were not close rounds. No, they weren't. It was a complete thrashing, and for you know, Nate can claim all he wants that he would have come back, but I don't know that we saw any evidence of it. Um, Stephen Thompson. Now, hang on, I didn't. You let me do my. Come on, you you stole my thunder, Stan. Talk to me. You didn't let me make. You didn't let me match make. And I am the matchmaker. Please go. Go ahead. Talk to me, Nikolai. You're certainly not the fight picker. I'm the dream taker, the matchmaker. Oh wow, you know. I'm trying to have a moment. And you got to take it away. You're already taller. You're already a better Nick. fighter. You're younger. You're better looking. Nick. I do picks. That's like my thing. Not my picks. I do the matchmaking. It's my shtick. And you don't even let me have that. I think you need to look in Nick, the mirror. Shit, you yours. shut your mouth for a second. You need to look in the mirror and think about what kind of what kind of energy you're putting out into the world. I'm going to do that, I promise. <laughs> but I do have a lot of affection for I you, just so you know. I do. <laughs> I see the way you look at my ass. So um, <laughs> I would go with, um, I mean, really, it was just a fight recently. And so here's one way you can go. You match up Gastelum with Hermanson and Till with Cannoneer. But I actually think that with where Till's at right now, that Cannoneer might be a little, that might be a little daunting for him. What I would do, and I know you're not a fan of Russian of Russian prospects, but with where Till's at mentally and his young age and everything, I think you put him in with Edmund Shabazian, and it's a win-win. We learn we learn what Till's what really Till's gonna look like. They've got very complementary styles, and if Shabazian is like a twenty-one-year-old or whatever he is, twenty-two-year-old like wonder kid, we'll know if he puts out Till. If he loses, if he happens to lose this fight. And fights, you know, fights the Uriah Halls and the Derek Brunsons and the Brad Tavares for a while and Antonio Carlos Juniors. That's okay. He's young, but the way that uh, the way that he dispatched Brad Tavares, I I think that's I think that's a responsible match to make. Edmund Shabazian against Darren Till. You've done it again, Nick, and that's why they pay you the upper middle class bucks. <laughs> What do you think about those? Are those, are those the pick? Is that the the matches you'd want to see? 
I think Darren Till versus Edmund Shabazian makes perfect sense. I think it's a win-win. Shabazian is at 10 at this point, but Darren Till really didn't work his way all the way up the division anyhow. And this is Shabazian's probably easiest path to get to the top of the division. I think Jack Hermanson maybe might be an option for Till as well if you just want to kind of see which one of those guys. Yeah, Hermanson's coming off of Hermanson's coming off a devastating loss though, which is why I would match him up with Gastelum. They almost never match together when coming off a win and coming off a loss. I'm into it. I'm I'm down with that. I think Gastelum Hermanson, number six and number seven, makes perfect sense. Darren Till versus number ten Edmund Shabazian, I think that makes a lot of sense. They're kind of similar similarly sized and Shabazian might end up being the kind of prospect that we all were hoping and expecting Darren Till to be. So I'm I'm into that. His, his pers- his, uh, he is aggressive. He keeps distance very well. And he's got some bonkers power in, in all of his strikes. I agree. I would love to see him in the third round in which he's not tired. But, man, he's a young kid. He's only like 23, 24 years old. He's got a lot of time, man, and he's looking spectacular against solid competition. He hurts people when so he touches them, and Brad Tavares is a really tough is. guy. Brad Tavares is a tough guy who's taken uh, a lot of lumps from very, very good fighters, and Shabazian got him right out of there. Agreed. Uh, Steven Thompson picked up a resounding victory over Vincente Luque. He made him look like crap, Nick. He made him look like he didn't even belong in the top ten, and Let's face it, Stephen Thompson has been known to do that to some pretty high-level fighters. He did it to George Masvidal recently, who's at the height of his career. Roy McDonald looked pretty terrible against him. Johnny Hendricks, uh, Patrick Cote, I remember when he was kind of at the height of his success, got silly by him. Robert Whitaker, he knocked out in the first round. Um, if you are aggressive against Stephen Thompson, he's going to piece you the fuck up. That is a fact. The people that are able to beat him, Anthony Pettis, who was on his back foot, pressed up against the cage when he got his knockout. Darren Till, who he that arguably shouldn't have gotten the yeah, win. Yeah, Thompson Thompson won that fight. That was a not that was a boring fight that with the wrong decision. It was barely a fight. I agree. And then Tyron Woodley, who was on his back foot, uh, only needed to really land a big shot throughout the ten rounds, maybe two big shots to win the well to win one fight and get a draw. So again, if you want to beat Thompson, you cannot be aggressive. It's kind of the same thing with Machida in his prime. You're not going right. to beat him by running into his excellent counter strikes. Stephen Thompson's angles that he cuts with his footwork, he was able to trick and outplay Vincente Luque in every way. Luque just wasn't going to be fast enough. Let's face it, Luque looked pretty human against more kind of middle-level competition. In oh, Mike yeah, Perry, and Brian, Bar- uh, and Brian Barberino. Yep. Brian Barbonero, yeah. All these guys made him look very human, and, and for that reason, I was confident in Thompson. I actually recommended a pretty big bet on him, and I... Hope you guys heard me out on that one and put some dough down on him. You and I disagreed on this one as well, but it's understandable. Stephen Thompson looked like he was on a downslide and Vicente Luque was on the come up, clearly. But, again, when Stephen Thompson faces a aggressive opponent, he's going to piece them up. It's never failed. That's a great way to pick Stephen Thompson fights, I'm telling yeah, you. Yeah, Luque's going to have trouble against the longer uh, welterweights. You know, I'd like to see him fight Lawler. I'd like to see him fight Pettis. Gilbert Burns would be interesting. Rafael Dos Anjos is interesting. Those are all... He and Burns wouldn't fight each other. They're close friends and training partners, but any of those other guys... Who's his training partner? Gilbert Burns of Vincenzo. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, I'd really like to see him fight Rafael Dos Anjos. It's, I mean, he's a, he's he's great. He's a, he's aggressive. He doesn't... You know, he's got, I think, pretty good technique. He's 
his arms aren't very long. <laughs> like if if I recall, like it's just no. But but it would be two pressure fighters who do nothing but throw offense. Um, I think Dos Anjos is certainly more rounded, but I think Vicente Luque is a big, dense welterweight, so it should be an interesting matchup. Yeah, I I like I like those matchup recommendations. I think I'm down with him with any of the top kind of uh, top eleven through fifteen range in the welterweight rankings, and I don't mind him against number five Rafael Dos Anjos. I don't know what to do with Thompson. Make for interesting matchups. Thompson, yeah, that's a tough one because you can either feed someone to him. Or you can risk giving up a prospect because most of these prospects are not going to beat him realistically, right? Joff Neal, maybe if, if, if you want to kind of roll the dice, but he seems really talented. Like he could be something special. So that would be kind of sacrificing a prospect. If Ben Askren ever decides to come back, maybe that's the fight you can give him. I mean, it's he'll talk, so it'll make it interesting for Thompson. And Thompson could pick up probably a very impressive victory. Robbie Lawler, he never fought. That might be... A good fight to make just for the intrigue. Yeah, um, I mean Maya, but you don't know what you're going to get there. You're right. He he never fought Maya either, Nick, and that's number six versus number eight. I'm into that matchup a lot, actually. That would be great. Yeah, the, like eighty years combined. Uh, in there. Uh, as far as their age, yeah, yeah, seventy six, I believe. Uh, Thompson, I think is thirty five. He might be thirty. No, I think he's thirty. I think he's thirty six or thirty seven. So basically, it takes two top 10 MMA welterweights who are probably past their prime combined to make up the ages of a couple of presidential candidates, Nick. Uh, yeah, that? Thompson's 36. He'll be 37 in February. I, um, yeah. man, I wish he had, uh, I wish he'd gotten into MMA younger. Yeah. I mean, he had a, something like 50 and O in kickboxing before he went into MMA. So he definitely built up, I think the skills that he needed in order to dominate an MMA. I've talked before about the Nogueros theory the Nogueira brothers, that you need to go into MMA being an expert at something. You can you can get defensively good at the other parts, and then you can start growing your skills in the other parts. But if you're better than just about anyone at one in one category of MMA, it's just a matter of building your game around it, making sure that that's where the fight takes place. Right. I think Stephen Thompson is an excellent example of that. He's never really truly rounded his game. We've never seen him do well on the ground, never seen him go for takedowns. It's always been footwork and karate offense, essentially. And it's worked for him back in 2013, and it's working for him now in 2019 against top-level competition. Yeah, I mean, the only clear losses he has are, are Pettis, and he was winning. You know, he was he won 90 percent of that fight, and Matt Brown and Matt Brown, where where like he was fairly new to the sport still, and sometimes you just run into a Matt Brown. But the Woodley fights were razor thin, and that was his you know, prospect loss I think and and that's important for a lot of guys careers getting that prospect loss maybe this is it for Luke maybe this will allow Luke to make the changes he needs in order to truly establish himself as a top flight welterweight but Stephen Thompson looked absolutely fantastic looking forward to seeing him again but again it's tough to match him up at this point it's going to have to be novelty fights fights against guys like Maya and Lawler I think if if you're not going to want to sacrifice some up and coming prospects since I mean Stephen Thompson could challenge for the title again presumably it would just be kind of you know it would take a little bit of a trek for him to get there. I would. I uh, think it's Derek more likely got, he goes to middleweight and takes, you know, maybe takes some fights there. Um, but he's never he's never spoken about it. But he'd be super fast at middleweight. That's actually might not be a bad move for him. It might be 
he, I mean, it would be great to see a matchup between him and Stylebender. I think if he comes in, gets one win at middleweight, and a lot of these guys at middleweight aren't that awesome in the top 10, so he can pick off the right matchup if he wants to, then set up a fight with Adesanya between two super strikers, two of the best kickboxers in UFC history. I think that would be actually a brilliant move, Nick. Good call. Anything else uh, before we get into UFC Fight Night Moscow you want to talk about on this uh, this card? Uh, yeah, Kevin Lee against Gregor Gillespie. Oh, I think you and I both picked Gillespie. Uh, Gillespie was my number two pick. I was fairly confident in him. Here's the thing. I watched the fight after knowing the ending, uh, after having seen it the first time. And I believe that Kevin Lee essentially was his regular self. He, he wasn't as aggressive as he is early, which is a good sign. He usually tires himself out. But really, it was a fairly close matchup between two guys. Kevin Lee threw a right hand followed by a left head kick end of the night if he didn't catch him it could have still gone anyway kevin lee always wins the first round it's hard to tell and honestly gillespie took a big knockout and he wasn't a bad position don't get me wrong um it seemed like gillespie essentially threw the maybe 15th or 20th jab in that couple of minutes of fighting and kevin lee saw it coming he threw an overhand right as he slipped his head off the center line uh tagged gillespie and gillespie was actually kind of circling to gillespie's right toward kevin lee's left side and kevin lee followed that right hand up with a head kick which just perfectly placed on Gregor Gillespie, and then he fell back right onto the cage. I mean, it was about as spectacular a knockout as you could ask for. Kevin Lee, who's now getting a little bit of a reprieve from fighting some of the best in Iaquinta and Dos Anjos and Tony Ferguson, picked up a big knockout here. I don't know that I'm convinced that there have been major improvements. I'd like to see him in a longer fight because he always looks really good early, and this was competitive early up until the knockout. But really nice work by him. Corey Anderson knocked out Johnny Walker, man, in the first round, ran right through him. Shane Burgos fucked up Amir Khani, just absolutely schooled him, and then finished him with 28 seconds left in the round after downing him several times. Amir Khani just has no answer standing, and training at SBG Ireland is not best case. Edwin Shabazian, we already spoke about it, first round spectacular knockout over Brad Tavares. The kid is very, very serious. Despite his training camp, um, I am expecting big things from him. You were right about the Rosenstruck fight. He picked up that first round knockout victory. All he needed to do was land a shot at 29 seconds. Of the first round. Caitlin Shukagian looked really good against Jennifer Maya, actually earned that decision, and that doesn't often happen with her. She usually gets gift decisions. Lyman Good completely messed up Chance Rank Country, busted him up every moment of the fight, and then knocked him out in the third round. And Hakeem Duwadu picked up a well deserved victory over Julio Ars. You got any uh, quick words for us on the rest of the card, Nick? No, I mean, the main one is Gregor Gillespie is not a lightweight. Get your ass to featherweight. Like. He looked, I mean, Kevin Lee looked like an ogre in there next to him. He looked like a hobbit fighting a, fighting an ogre. Um, he, I just think he's too, if he's just, if he's, if his only path to victory is takedowns, he's got to go to a smaller weight class. He's not a big guy. Um, he, I, I, yeah, I, I guess I hear that. I, I just feel like Kevin Lee's a giant at lightweight. I don't know. I do wonder how much does Gillespie cut weight because most of these wrestlers are known for being able to cut weight really well. I don't think he cuts he a lot of weight, look man. Large. He looks, his frame yeah. is small. He do, I bet you he's not that much bigger than Frank. I bet you he's the same size as Frankie Edgar. Oh, I don't know about that. He's, That's just crazy talk. Let me see. Frankie Edgar's like three inches shorter. Uh, I, I, I no, Gillespie, Gillespie's that, five. Frankie Edgar's a little guy. Gillespie, he's 5'9". He's 5'9". What's his reach? Yeah. His reach is seven. His, his reach is bad. seventy-one. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, you might be right about one forty-five. I just feel like at one forty-five, stylistically, the matchups might get even harder for him. Yeah, Frankie's reach is he's sixty-eight. Not be necessarily yeah. fast enough. 
He's not that much, uh, yeah. Right. It's uh. So, I mean, it's it's still, those three inches really matter when we're talking about five six at one fifty five versus five nine at one fifty five. I think it makes a pretty decent, pretty good difference considering we have guys. Yeah, like six, no, we do. But he's well, five five nine with a seventy one inch reach is not um. You know, is not big for one forty five. I mean, yeah, no, it's fair. Uh, you're that's right. basically, it's, basically, that's the same. Yeah, are. I mean, that's that's around the same size as Aldo. I don't think he'd be fast enough to compete with those guys, but you might be right. Yeah, I don't know. I just, I think he's going to be undersized to be a one-dimensional wrestler at lightweight against against the top ten. I think his stand-up is overall pretty decent. He throws lots of jabs. He did keep his chin high, and he dropped that right hand just in time for that head kick to land. So obviously, there's things to address. I'd love for him to train with a real team instead of. Fucking Belmore kickboxing. I knew you. Were, I knew you were gonna say that. I was just looking up Belmore kickboxing. Well, it's like it's. Tr- How do you go to Belmore kickboxing when you've got you know, um, Longo Sara so close? Yeah, I don't know if it's a rivalry thing. I actually think several fighters train at both gyms, so or at least John Vellante does. So it does seem to be an option. I don't know. It's kind of weird. I would love for him to honestly go elsewhere. I don't know that Ray Longo's uh, stand-up style would be ideal for. Gregor Gillespie, I would love for him to maybe hook up with those guys in the city. I mean, I know he travels a lot for fishing and that sort of thing. I just feel like maybe find a fishing town that is close to an elite MMA gym. I don't know if Albuquerque, New Mexico is known for their lakes, Nick, but I would be open to something like that. Until then, he's you know he's with an okay team. I don't know that he has the best training partners. He's with an okay team, and where he really needs to work on is his stand-up, which, again, is not bad, but I just feel like he would be more well-suited with a Faraz the Hobby, for example. But I don't think there's any goddamn... Oh, you know what? There's got to be some fishing in Canada. Let's get let's go Faraz the Hobby, Nick. I'm going to yeah. personally tweet the guy and rec- make the recommendation because I think guys have alluded to the fact that making that change, getting under legitimate head coach, for guys like Kevin Lee, by the way, who coached uh, Kevin Lee for this matchup, Faraz the Hobby did. Uh, I, I think that might be the right move for him. But a really good overall card, man. We are going to get into UFC Fight Night Moscow right after this break. And we are back to the MMA Geek Syllable Podcast. Here to talk about UFC Fight Night Moscow coming up this weekend. We've got a bunch of Russian guys whose names are very difficult to pronounce going up against a bunch of American and some European guys whose names we're going to have less of a tough time with. Nick, have you been working on your pronunciations for this one? No, man. I've just been tallying up my Scrabble scores. Um, (laughs) You're going to have to bear with me. I don't blame you one bit about the pronunciation. I was born in the Soviet Union, and I'm going to have some trouble with a lot of these names. Uh, Last week... I had the first pick, and there was no tiebreaker, unfortunately, for me. This week, you have the first pick, and there are 13 bouts on the card, which means you are also going to end up picking the tiebreaking fight. Nick, what is your first pick for UFC Fight Night Moscow? I do not believe that there can be a card in Moscow and have a fight that is anywhere near close and goes to a decision and have it not go to a man whose last name is Nurmagomedov. So the cousin... Abu Kabar Nurmagomedov over uh, David uh, Zawada, or David Zawada, um, is going to be my first pick, Stan. I think the little new me, little new me is going to use his, uh, you know, his Dagestani toughness and 
grappling prowess. Yeah, I agree with you on the pick. That would have been my second pick of the night. I'm not a big believer in Zavada, and Abu Bakar is overall pretty well-rounded. He's got decent stand-up and, more importantly, pretty good wrestling, although he's not as good at the ground and pound and, and not quite as explosive, doesn't chain wrestle quite as well as his cousin Khabib. So I'm on the same page with you. David Zawada is 0-2 in the UFC, and even though Abu Bakar is coming off of a loss in the PFL, I expect him to pick up a win not terribly out of range from his hometown. My first picnic is going to be Magomed Ankalaev, who is fighting Dalcha Lungiambula. I think I did pretty good. Oh, that was, my, that was my second pick. Yeah, that was actually my first pick, and Ankala, um, Abu Bakar was going to be my second um, look, I think Magomed Ankalaev is a very, very serious prospect. He's already shown it at 205. I know he got that fluke loss in in his first UFC bout, but he coming in here against Dalcha, who's a much more limited fighter than even Paul Craig in some ways. Dalcha is extremely explosive, but he's only 5'8". Um, he's got good judo and ex- an extraordinary power. He really does, but I believe Ankalaev will make this a fairly boring fight to watch, keeping him at a distance, picking away at him getting maybe the occasional takedown against the judoka. So I expect Uncle I have to do his thing here. All right. Uh, my next pick, yeah, I'm going to go with Zalim uh, Imadiev against uh, Danny Roberts. I'm just not a big believer or fan in Danny Roberts. I know more about him and, like, not picking against him than I know about picking for uh, Zamil Imadiev. Um, but, you know, Moscow card, I'm going to uh, go towards the Russians. Yeah, I'm there with you on that pick. That was actually going. That was actually number five on my list, just because I think Danny Roberts is a real slick stand-up striker, and Zalim isn't so over just bearing that you know can you can definitely expect him to get a knockout over Daniel Roberts. But Danny is coming off of a knockout loss, so all the more reason to believe his chin might not hold up here against the more varied striker in Zalim. Um, my third pick, Nick, is going to be Alexander Volkov over Greg Hardy. Interesting. I realize Hardy is a big man, and I know that Volkov, after having dominated Derek Lewis, ended up losing by third-round knockout with like 30 seconds left in his last fight. But I like that he took a year off after that. I think he's going to be the notably longer fighter here. Greg Hardy had kind of a ho-hummish fight uh, that ended up being a no contest, but that he deserved a victory in. in his last bout, I think it was about a month ago, the thing is that it was a much, against a much shorter striker who isn't all that necessarily explosive. And Alex Volkov is a much bigger, much taller man than Greg Hardy. He's going to have a better ground game than Greg Hardy if he does end up on top. And he did take Derek Lewis down, so there's reason to believe he could do that here. It's not like Hardy's been looking spectacular against all levels of competition here when a fight you know, gets into it a little bit. So I'm going to believe that Alex Volkov's chin is good enough to avoid getting smacked with a big one against a shorter man, although Greg Hardy's very fast. And hits really hard, so I realize there's risk here. Um, yeah, there's also risk in just some weird bullshit happening and you only getting a half a point or no, no points. No fucking cause... joke, man. Yeah. You are not kidding. Um, so um, I'm going to pick the main event uh, for my next fight. With I'm going to pick uh, Zabit Magomedov-Shaparov over uh, Calvin Qatar. I think the fight's much closer than the minus 300 plus 250 um, that it's currently at. I, I would have it uh, much closer to the... Really, the rest of the card where a lot of the fights around you know around minus one fifty plus one thirty um, situation. If it was a five round fight, I would be even less likely to pick Zabit. I think because um, we've seen how he tires in the third. But I think over three rounds, he just this is one of those cases of a fighter having eight weapons against a fighter that mostly has two. 
and those two weapons are really good. I feel like we've what we've seen Zabit get uh, punched in the face by some hard-hitting guys when he's tired before, and he hasn't gone out. So I don't... It's not impossible, but I think... And I think Qatar has a little bit more than a puncher's chance, but I think it's unlikely that over three... I think over three rounds, Zabit's going to land more. He's going to land more from weirder angles. He's going to use those long legs um, to keep distance and to land lots of kicks, body kicks, leg kicks, um, probably some some calf kicks. And I just I just see him outpointing uh, and, and piecing up uh, Qatar, who's going to be looking to you know land his own three piece in a soda and, and find it. I think maybe difficult to get in range. What do you think? I agree with the pick, and given what about close, the rationale? Well, the rationale is that I'll be honest with you. If this was a five round fight, I would pick Qatar very comfortably. The thing is, it's a three yeah. round fight, even though it's a main event. I think that's fucking ridiculous, but it is what it is. Zabit Magomed Sharipov. Well, it's, it's I mean it's fair. It was a late. It's a late fight. Like it was a late edition, right? Or a late, late uh, to main event. Yeah, I, I guess. I just feel like the UFC should have made it worth their while. And I think that if I was Calvin Cater, I would protest it and I'd make a big deal about it, knowing that Zabit has only shown the ability to have two good rounds in him. Zabit will lose rounds, uh, lose a third round to guys like Kyle Bochniak. Not a very good fighter, Nick. A pressure fighter, but not a very good fighter. Yeah, but remember, Zabit was throwing street, he threw street fighter tactics for the entire first two rounds, which is not a great way to conserve energy. No, and that's the thing. He always does that. That's how he wins the first two rounds. That's what makes him good is that he puts almost everything into the first two rounds. It's, look, I, I do agree with the pick. I think that the main reason I agree with it, though, is because it's a three-round bout and the fact that Hanato Maikano was the only man to beat Calvin Cater in the UFC, and he did it as the longer striker by using a lot of lateral footwork, which Zabit is really good at. He threw lots of kicks at a distance and stayed out of punching range, which Zabit is able to do, I think, if he needs to, although they do throw different kinds of kicks. Hanato had really good luck throwing those leg kicks. It seemed like Cater just was not capable of uh, checking a single one. And Zabit doesn't really throw conventional tie kicks as much. He throws all kinds of craziness from a distance, although I do think it'll be enough to win him at least the first two rounds. I wouldn't be terribly shocked if Cater picks up a knockout victory in the third. If Zabit can pretty decisively lose the third round to guys like Jeremy Stevens, to guys like Kyle Bochniak. Cater has what it takes with his kind of fundamentals striking game, with his right-hand setups, with his excellent boxing game. I think he's got what it takes to finish in the third round, so it's possible, but I do agree with the pick. My next pick, Nick, is going to be Roosevelt Roberts over Alex Yakovlev. Roberts, I know he's coming off of the first loss in his career, but I do still think he can have something pretty legitimate in the division. I know he's not fighting exactly in his home country here. In fact, he's in Yakovlev's neck of the woods, and Yakovlev is a really is a really kind of crafty, skilled guy. But Yakovlev actually wasn't looking all that great against the five eight Alex da Silva in his last fight before he caught that guillotine out of nowhere in the second round. He lost to Zach Cummings and Kumar Usman before that. It does seem like it's the grapplers that tend to gain an advantage on him. But I still favor Roosevelt Roberts, who, by the way, can get takedowns. And Yakovlev gives up takedowns plenty. I expect that Roberts should be able to do his thing, but I wouldn't be surprised if Yakovlev comes on strong in the third and wins that one. What do you think? Um, I have exactly the same pick for the same rationale. Was that the next pick for you? 
No, it was going to be further down the list. The next pick's actually a pick'em fight that I think shouldn't necessarily be a pick'em fight. I'm going to pick Panny Kanzad against uh, a fighter that I like and who fights with um, John Wood and Syndicate, Jessica Rose Clark. Um, I, I like Jesse Jess, but she's lost previously uh, to Panny and in Invicta. And, you know, I, f- I really feel like um, she's meant she's meant to be a flyweight fighter and she's up at bantam now because she was missing the weight and i don't i just i'm not convinced that's going to be a good a good look for her i really liked her at the lower at the at the lower weight class which is where i believe she beat uh paige van zant in a in a very good competitive fight where where she broke van zant's arm i think this fight will be very similar to their to their previous matchup yeah I had the same pick, although for me it was significantly further down the list. Penny Kanzad isn't exactly looking so hot lately. And say what you will about Rose Clark, she did go on a three-fight win streak there against Karina Dam, Beck Rawlings, and Paige Van Zandt before losing to Jessica I. Penny Kanzad is 0-2 in the UFC so far. She lost to Avila and she lost to Shazan, both of whom were debuting in the UFC as well. So... Not a great sign for her mentally, so I have my concerns there, but I do agree with you on the pick, if only because of how their previous fight went. I could I could just see Clark maybe having made enough adjustments to have the edge at this point and to be more comfortable in the UFC octagon. Same page overall, though. My next picnic is going to be Rustam Kabilov over Sergei Kandosko. Kandosko is actually a really skilled overall guy. He's really dangerous standing up, and he can even get the occasional takedown against a guy who's good at standing and Rostam, I know, is coming off of a loss in his last bout against Carlos Diego Ferreira, who I think quite a lot of. I actually think he's something special. And I know that he's coming up to welterweight, Kabilov is. And I don't know if he partially blames the weight cut for his loss to Diego Ferreira at 155. But I favor Kabilov because he's going to be able to get takedowns against a potentially bigger guy in Sergey. Sergey, though, if he can keep it standing, can get off on his strikes and he can land some b- big bombs on Rostam and maybe even finish it especially being the bigger man. Uh, I'll put it to you this way. Rustam is 23-4 and four and like half his career is in the UFC. Sergey's 27-5. and five. He's only had one UFC fight. They have similar records, but Rustam has done it against a much higher level of competition. Yeah, I'm actually... I thought I saw this is closer, maybe a pick him, and if I had, if it had come to it, I was probably going to pick uh, against Kabalov, and I picked Kabalov a lot before. I don't like him moving up in weight to 170. Um, I think he's. I don't think he's gonna necessarily be able to get the takedowns that he thinks he does. I hear that. I could definitely see that being an issue for him, given the size discrepancy there. I like Ra- uh, Ramazan Emiv against uh, Anthony Rocco Martin. I think uh, uh, Ra- Martin Mar- Anthony Tony Martin. Jesus, <laughs> I'm tired. Um, I like I like Tony Martin. I just think Emiv's gonna be all over him, like uh, like white on rice, as they say. Yeah, I I actually favor Tony Martin in that one. I don't I think Amiyev is a little bit overrated, especially given his lack of high level experience. And I think Rocco Martin is actually one of the better welterweights in the world. Should be able to avoid most of those takedowns, land a few left hands, maybe a left head kick to at least win a decision. Close one though. Uh, and I know we're down to the last several fights, but I do disagree with this one. So we've got two disagreements in a row, and it makes sense as the fights get much harder to call. Next up, I don't know how you can pick it. You you just picked against the Dagestani fighter. I'm just letting you know that. What a mistake that is. I think uh, Khabib is something truly, truly special, but how many Dagestani fighters out there are, are there that are just untouchable? Nobody else, really. 
Um, so next, I mean, this is where things get pretty difficult. I'm gonna take, geez, I'm gonna take Carl Robertson over Roman Kopilov. I know that Kopilov is gonna be fighting in, in an area that is gonna favor him, the crowd that's gonna favor his offense. Kopilov is actually a really, really, really good southpaw. Excellent technique. I can easily see this fight going either way. The main reason I'm favoring Carl is because I've never seen Kopilov go for takedowns, and I think that's what Carl can kind of lose on points or lose by submission. Uh, he might go for takedowns here, and I've never really seen his ground game, so I don't know how good it will be. I know that Carl, in his last fight, he you know had to fight for that win against Wellington Terman, another kind of stand-up fighter that debuted in the UFC, another young prospect, much like his opponent here at the Moscow card. Um, he did out-tough Terman and got those top positions when he needed to. He was able to turn over when Terman was able to get on top of takedowns. And he landed some big shots when he was able to, especially to the head. I like Robertson's kickboxing experience, and I like his UFC experience, the fact that he's been in that octagon many times. Roman is so talented, though, and I will look forward to seeing him fight in this fight. This might be, by the way, in my opinion, fight of the night. What are your thoughts on the matchup? Um, I, agree, I agree with your pick. I like, I like Robertson. Um, I was gonna. I had this. I think is my last pick or my my second to last pick. Okay. Uh, but I had a good. I had a good feeling about it. I think I'm going to pick Kadis uh, Imbragamov against uh, Ed Shortfuse Herman. As much as I like Ed Shortfuse Herman, he's getting uh, he's getting up there, and I feel like he's up against you know a six foot three, uh, nearly eighty inch reach. Um, you know, 24-year-old uh, Russian guy who did lose a third-round fight to uh, Da Eung Jung, uh, the Korean fighter, um, not too long ago. But has looked looked pretty good um, in in M1, um, knocking guys out who did who had not terrible records. You know, 15 and three, 12 and three, um, and I just. I think that the wheels are going to fall off for a short fuse one of these days and traveling to Moscow to fight um, against, uh, you know, against a tough Sambo guy is, uh, you know, as good a time as any for the wheels to fall off. Yeah, uh, this is a little known thing, I believe, because not a whole lot of people have looked at this card weeks ago. But Ibrahimov took this fight on 11 days notice. He also took his UFC debut on 11 days notice and he honestly threw hundreds of extremely heavy strikes for two rounds before he ended up getting caught in that submission by his Korean opponent. In this case, he's taking out on the same kind of notice, but I would expect that he was more prepared for it. I do agree with the pick, but a very close one on paper. Ed Herman's craft and the fact that he's had a full training camp opportunity against Ibrahimov's superior size and, I guess, power, his youth, his tenacity. It's an interesting matchup that could go either way. I agree with your pick here, though. My next pick, Nick, is going to be Klitsen Abreu over Shamil Gonzatov. I happen to be a pretty big believer in Klitsen Abreu. I think he's a really solid fighter. He lost his UFC debut to another fighter that's actually on this card. Uh, he lost to Magomed Ankalaev. But what happened was it was looking pretty competitive, and I think he took that fight on short notice. It was looking pretty competitive, and Ankalaev landed an uppercut that broke Abreu's nose. And Abreu, like, never gave up, never stopped fighting, just kept fighting like nothing ever happened. Maybe pulled guard, like, a minute later, just to kind of give himself a moment without getting hit to the face. The guy's tough as hell. I think he trains with a pretty good team. And Lucio Thai MMA, but I feel like I was more familiar with the people. In any case, 
He won his second UFC bout against Sam Alvey. I like him over Shamil Gamzatov here. Well, that brings us down to the tiebreaker, which is not... Do you agree with the pick? Yeah, I do. Um, to the tiebreaker, this is Davy Grant against Grigory Popov. Uh, we watched Popov look not too terrible against uh, Eddie Wineland for a while. Wait, was it against Eddie Wineland or was it against Jeremy Stevens? Oh, it was against Eddie Wineland. But he still he still looked fun like a fundamentally sound kickboxer to me. He looked like he was he was you know throwing some heat, um, and he took a he took a bunch of shots. He took a good shot. Probably I don't know a ton about Davy Grant, um, but I think probably this is Popov's fight to lose on on home turf. So Davy Grant's a uh, English fighter off of tough. Yeah, I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with Grigory Popov for the tiebreaker. Yeah, I just barely, barely agree with you about Pop- Popov. Um, I, I think he's pretty solid standing up, and I think he'd be able to hurt David Grant, who's pretty injury-prone overall. But David Grant has a really, really good ground game, and I think that if he gets takedowns, he should be able to do his thing to Popov here. I like that Popov trains with Tiger Muay Thai, though, and Dave Grant has been having a lot of trouble staying in the UFC just because of serious injuries time and time again. It seems to be a big issue for him. He has to take major, major breaks in between fights. It's funny that Ultimate Fighter Season 18, the finale was between David Grant and Chris Holdsworth. David Grant can barely net a couple of wins together after losing that bout to Holdsworth and has had a lot of injury issues, has really only been able to fight three times ever since that 2013 Ultimate Fighter finale. And then Chris Holdsworth took a concussion and is unable to compete in the UFC at all, even though the kid's undefeated, including in the UFC. So yeah, he works for uh, he works for a team alpha male apparently. Yeah, he's one of the, he became one of their coaches because he couldn't really compete anymore because of his concussive symptoms. Man, how serious must that have been? I think it was T.J. Dillashaw, from what I understand, or maybe on steroid T.J. Dillashaw that did that to him. But yeah, it's kind of a cursed season. Uh, Ultimate Fighter 18 is is I guess what I'm trying to say here. Yeah, uh, so the way it works, folks, is that since there are 13 fights on the card, that odd fight at the very end ended up being a tiebreaker so each each of us nick and i had six picks and if we're tied between those six picks each that's when the tiebreaker comes into play i'm going to be rooting for dave grant for that reason in this case your picks were Nurmagomedov, imadayev zabit kianzad emiev and ibrahimov a whole lot of ruskies and then my picks were magomed volkov roberts rustam robertson and uh, breo so I actually picked three non-Russians on this one. I see you having an edge in this one, Nick. I can see you. Uh, I can see you picking up another victory here, which will tie us up in the events, I believe, and bring my three and a half point lead a little bit closer. But it does seem kind of like a pick'em card in so many ways. I wouldn't be surprised if all the Ruskies come through, and that's that, though. We're gonna take a break, come back, and talk about our success and/or failure. Last week, one of us had some success; the other, unfortunately, did not do as well. And we're gonna talk about our bets for this coming weekend. We'll be right back. And we are back to the MMA Geek Sea Level Podcast, here to break down the betting opportunities for you guys with the MMA Geeks Betting Guide. Uh, Nick, last week didn't go so well for you, but you didn't put a whole lot of money on the line, so it wasn't that bad. You lost 25 bucks on the Gastelum Gillespie Parlay, $25 loss on 
Makwan Amerikani, $10 loss on Arlovsky, $25 loss on the Walker Blagoy Ivanov parlay. I actually ended up netting 30 bucks from this one. Not a loss by any means, so I'll take it. Not exactly the kind of profit I'm looking for. I lost $75 on a Gastelum Gillespie parlay, so I had the same parlay as you did. I bet 75 bucks on Masvidal at minus 165. That's a $45 win. $20 on Mirkani was a loss. $70 on Shabazi and came through with a $55 profit, which is great. And then $40 on Chukagian came through with a $26 profit. Overall, I won $125, lost $95 for a profit of $30. Nick, what are your bet recommendations for us? I bet uh, 5 bucks on uh, on Penny Kanzad. Uh, if I was going to do a parlay, I'd probably do uh, Imadiev and Magad Shaparov. Imadiev and Magomed Sharipov? Yeah. Got it. A $20 parlay there. I think that's about it. Um, I am going to recommend a bet on Qatar over Magomed Sharipov at plus 250. I think this fight should be quite a bit closer to pick him. I think Qatar actually might be something possibly special. Magomed certainly is something special, um, but I'm, I'm going to recommend a $10 bet at plus 250, $10 to win 25 I'm going to recommend a $10 bet on Hardy to win $21 over Volkov, just because I think the guy has power and Volkov has been knocked out before, and Hardy just seems to get away with not really having true losses somehow throughout his MMA career this far. I'm going to recommend a $15 bet on Sergei Kazosko. Uh, over Kabilov, I just feel like a plus 165. It might be an opportunity by the bigger man who's a striker. $15 to win 25 there. Those are kind of my value bets. The, I'm not picking any of these fighters, but I feel like given the odds, it makes sense to place these bets. You bet the odds. Uh, you don't bet the matchup. Next up, we've got a straight bet on Martin over Emiyev at plus 110. 45 bucks to win 50. I'm a believer in Tony Martin. I think he's a top welterweight. Uh, Glitzin Abrio over Shamil Gazatov, I think at plus 160, 31 bucks to win 50. It's certainly worth a bet on Abrio, who I think is a pretty solid fighter. And Shamil is a little bit overrated, if you ask me. Roosevelt Roberts at minus 155. I recommend a $77 bet on him to win 50. I also recommend a parlay of Imadayev and Normagomedov at minus 220 and minus 320, respectively. A uh, $55 bet will net you $50 on that one. I just feel like this card is so close overall that I really focused on betting the odds more than anything else. Yeah. Nick, that'll do it for me for this week when it comes to the betting. What do we got uh, next week? We have a pretty good UFC fight night, 164, Blackowicz versus Ronaldo Souza versus Jacare. Uh, Shogun is coming back to fight Paul Craig, which I think is a decent matchup for Shogun. Charles Oliveira is on the card against Jared Gordon. Wellington Thurman, who actually just came off that very, very close decision loss to Carl Robertson in his UFC debut. I think he's only 23 years old. This kid, 15-3 and three overall, is fighting Marcus Perez. That should be entertaining as heck. Kevin Holland is on the card for some reason. Sergio Marais versus James Krause, a couple of known guys. Ricardo Ramos is fighting Garagori, which is interesting. Garagori had a pretty impressive UFC debut, taking a big step up in competition here. Man. Francisco Trinaldo versus Bobby Green, another good matchup. That's a that's a heck of a matchup. Totally agree. Warley Alves versus Randy Brown. It seems like, honestly, the prelims on this card are really quite solid. Then we've got Douglas Silva down Drage versus Henan Barrow, who once was a champion, believe it or not. 
Um, Ariane Lipsky is waiting for an opponent replacement, it seems like. Vanessa Mello, Tracy Cortez, Nogueras coming back to fight Trevor Smith, Little Nog. That's interesting, I guess. Yeah, it's it's got some names on there. It's actually not so bad. It's uh, taking place in Brazil, which I guess makes sense given all the Brazilian fighters. Should be interesting to pick that one with you. Should be interesting to see Ronaldo Souza making his 205-pound debut after faltering a few times there on the five. What are your thoughts on this one? Yeah, it looks like a fun. It looks like a fun card to pick. You know, a mixed bag like a lot of Brazilian cards, but uh, some good, uh, you know, some good women's fights. Yeah, bigger names on next week's card, but I would say we're going to end up with more prospects coming out of this week's card. Uh, I think you're probably right. So apparently it's official. Conor McGregor is fighting on January 18th, and we're looking forward to officially announcing them announcing the matchup. I assume it's probably going to be against Romy. And I think you were right earlier when you said that it's probably going to be against Romy.